Okay, if you would, please turn to the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles. I will be reading this morning extensively, verses 17 through 42. Let's hear the word of the Lord. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have the apostles brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison security locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. 
But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took Gamaliel's advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Messiah is Jesus. Blessed is the reading of God's holy historical word. So Father, help me this morning. Now again that we have seen to see even more clearly and to feel the work of your Spirit and how it is to impact our lives today and how we live and how we preach and how we teach and how we stand and how we suffer to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The overriding, I think, deep, clear lesson of this passage that I just read is that our obedience to God's Word as Christians, it means that sometimes to obey God, it is God calling us into dangerous situations, harmful situations, suffering. As the Apostle Paul, later down the road, will stand before the resurrected Jesus, Jesus will look at him and he will say to him, I am sending you, Paul, to the Gentiles, and I will show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. And then Luke will later let us know, and Paul's in one of the Galatian churches, He had so many rocks thrown in his head and his body that he was unconscious. They thought he was dead. Maybe he was. But after he came to, he said to the Christians, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The controlling theme of this whole book we call the Acts of the Apostles It was set out in chapter 1, verse 8, where Luke tells us Jesus said to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here it is. Here's the controlling theme of the whole book. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, go and preach the word. Preach the gospel. He did not add, only if it's safe to do so. Remember where we are now in Luke's story that has been unfolding. The apostles Peter and John had already been arrested and dragged before the Supreme Court of Israel. 
They were commanded by the law, the religious law authority that is over them and instituted by God. They were commanded by the authorities not to teach about Jesus or teach in Jesus' name anymore to the people. They got out of jail and they obeyed God by disobeying the leaders. And they continued to preach publicly while also performing healings, miraculous signs and wonders. And that's where we left off last week. Verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So then, in the midst of this great power and popularity that's starting to happen now with these Christians and their message, the Jewish leaders, were told by Luke now, are filled with jealousy. And so again, they send the temple police to apprehend the apostles here, it's not just Peter and John. It might be all 12 of them or eight of them. We don't know, but it's clearly more than two from the text. They drag them into jail, put them there. And in the middle of the night, God sends an angel to miraculously spring them from jail. And that's where we hear the theme of the book of Acts again. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Just said in different words, through the angel, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And what's so strange when you think about it? The angel just gets them out of jail. Now go stand in the temple. That commandment from God through the angel is absolutely bound to get them into more trouble. They had just been arrested and now they're commanded to go to the most public place possible in Jerusalem and as soon as the sun comes up, start preaching, start teaching the people. The thousands that are, will be there at the temple. Maybe they got 12 separate groups going over in Solomon's portico. And so he commands them, and they did not hesitate. They obeyed God. And it led them to get arrested again, and they dragged them before. Now the council is there. It's daytime. And in verse 28, we read... The high priest says to them, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man Jesus' blood upon us. And then again, Peter, on behalf of the apostles, states the theme of Acts. We must obey God and preach and testify and witness and teach. We must obey God rather than 
men. You guys. And then from there, Peter again preached the gospel to them. He summarized the gospel. And his doing so caused the high priest and the leaders there in the council to be so angry they want to put all of these apostles to death now. But the Apostle Paul's teacher, Emilio, stepped in and changed their minds. And so they just instead beat them with whips 39 times on the back. Sometimes with the 40 lashes minus one, people will die because of so much blood loss. This was not a little beating. They were brutally whipped on their bare backs and chest as it flips around. And then they let them go. So what led to these Apostles' obedience. What led them to obey and to persevere in preaching the gospel in the midst of such horrific danger? Pain, suffering, imprisonment, maybe death. What is it? It's simply this. It's the gospel of their own personal salvation. It's the good news, that's what gospel means, that was applied to them. Their hope, in other words, was now anchored in the future. In the promise of being resurrected from the dead like their friend their Lord, their Master, and their God was raised from the dead. This is what empowered them by the Spirit. They understood that God mercifully saved me, Peter, who denied Jesus publicly a few months back. But He forgave me. Put away my sin. I see it now. That's why he was killed. They, in other words, know. They have been so transformed by the Holy Spirit with the truth of Jesus in this Gospel that He had plucked them out of darkness and put them in light, and He left them here in this world, even though they are no longer of the world. And underneath all of that, it was their trust in God's sovereignty. His providence. It's the God they worshipped. It's the Lord Jesus whom they obeyed who is in absolute sovereign control with all power and all authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, their lives, they know, 
they can entrust into God's hand. So if he says, go do X, Y, or Z, they go and they do it. Don't miss the strange sovereignty of God in this passage. They were put in jail. God chose to send an angel and break them out of jail. Middle of the night. By the end of the passage, God did not choose to prevent them from being horrifically bloodied by whips. And that didn't bother them. They trusted themselves into God's sovereignty. This is the God who is. It is the God of the Scriptures. Just a little bit later, remember the inner three with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, these two brothers. James, early on within the first couple, two or three years, he will be arrested by Herod Antipas, thrown in jail, and put to death. All the energy and all the time that Jesus spent instilling into probably his cousin, James. For what? You give him two years? Three years and then he's dead? No more about apostolic ministry for him. But what is so strange, after James is put to dead by Herod, Herod says, this is cool, I'm going to arrest this, this chief guy, Peter. And he arrests Peter, puts him in jail, he intends to kill him, and God chooses to send an angel and break Peter out of jail. And then God kills Herod. And Peter has a long life in ministry. Okay. Why did he not do that for James. Mine's not to ask the reason why. He has his reasons. It wasn't because it was easier to do with Peter. It's because he's sovereign and his providence is seen only as we look back. Years later, Paul will be put into prison and he will languish for three years before he shipped off to Rome. No angel to release him. And eventually Paul and Peter will be put to death by the state. And at that time again, no deliverance from that. This is the God they obeyed. And the lesson for us is that we should always be ready to obey God, no matter your circumstances. Mission field 
or working down the street in an office where there is a culture of godlessness. We should always be a Christian, no matter the circumstances. We should always be in a posture that if God so will, He could bring an angel and get me out of this jail. If God so will, He can heal me of this sickness or deliver me from this persecution. Always should be in that posture. And we should also always be ready to submit to the fact that it is not always God's will to deliver us from time-bound temporal sufferings. Now, let's go back. They disobeyed the government, the religious government that Rome gave to them that was over them. Got to pull back because in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, it is very clear that all of us who call ourselves Christians, we are called to be in submission to whatever governing authorities are over us, even if they are evil like Rome. We are to preach the gospel. And if they say no, we are to not fight them. We are to be willing to obey God and thus willing to suffer for it. We are called in the New Testament very clearly to pursue being good, law-abiding citizens. That's clear. That's the clear, general, biblical mandate for the church. But if the governing authorities command us to do something that God clearly commands us not to do, or if they command us not to do something that God clearly commands us to do, then we must obey God and not that law or governing authority. Let's see this. Look at verses 20 and 21. God sends an angel, and the angel, after breaking out the apostles, he says to them, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Jump down to verse 28. Now they're back before the court and the high priest says to them, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. And yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And so like many Christians have experienced over the last century under communist regimes when the government over them forbids them as Christians to meet together for worship services and Bible studies and prayer or forbids them to evangelize an attempt to bring non-Christians into becoming a Christian when those laws are given, they must 
yes, even at the danger of their own lives, obey. If we are ever commanded in any way like that, we in this room must disobey that governing law by obeying God. If we are ever commanded to not go on teaching that there are only two sexes, male and female, or we are commanded not to teach what the Bible clearly says about homosexual activity, then we must obey God and continue to be faithful to what is clearly written in Holy Scripture. And at the core of this obedience then, they must obey, they must obey. What are they obeying? At the core, it is simply this. Preach. Teach. Be clear with. Continue to say and to explain unambiguously the gospel of Jesus Christ. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people. All. All the words of this life. Why didn't the angel bypass getting these guys out of jail and just go himself to the temple and start preaching and scare the bejeebies out of people? Simple. God did not ordain angelic creatures to proclaim the life, the death, the resurrection, and the exaltation of the man Christ Jesus. He has commissioned human beings, His church, His people who themselves have been given new life in Christ through the message they heard called the Gospel. And so the angel tells the apostles, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And notice he calls, he didn't use the word euangelion here, translated gospel. He said the words of what? He called it this life. That is the gospel. True life. Eternal life. As they sat there and Jesus, this man who is God or he's a nutcase, said to them, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All the dead human beings in the world spiritually cannot go and get to the Father except through Me. That's a lunatic. Or that is God in His incarnation. They know that. And so what they know about this life is that spiritually dead people do not need a moral code to go ahead and now live by. 
this whole 70, and with their secretaries, probably many more in this council, they all had the moral code, which God did give. Many of them, like Gamaliel, spent his life unpacking it. And it cannot get them to God. Spiritually dead people need new life. They need, because they are in spiritual death, to come alive to spiritual life. And that's why he says, go preach all the words of this life. Life. You can see it at the, in verse 32 at the end of it. And we are witnesses to these things, these historical events of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. And we watched Him ascend and get exalted. We saw it. It's not theory. They are witnesses. And then He says this. And so is the Holy Spirit. He's a witness to what we say. What the heck is he talking about? So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. You can read that one of two ways. Did Peter mean what we do is preach Christ? And God the Holy Spirit, God in His omnipresence and omniscience, He's looking around to see who will respond and obey. And then He gives the Holy Spirit. Or, does Peter mean, as we preach, you watch people obey, there's at least 7,000 Jews that are part of the church of Jesus Christ now who have come to faith. Look at them. They're coming to obedience. Oh, is he saying, you know why they're doing it? The Holy Spirit testified to them that what they heard us apostles preach is true and they were changed. It's obviously that that's the new life. And so, these apostles obeyed. And they went to the temple and they taught the words of life. And then, of course, the police have to come and get them again and bring them before the council. And the high priest rebukes them for disobeying the order. And they make it clear, we're going to obey God rather than you. When you disagree with what God tells us to do, we're going to obey Him and we're willing to suffer for it. And then Peter didn't stop. Then he went and just in a synopsis again, preaches the Gospel. Verses 30 to 32. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you counsel killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to all who obey Him. So let's notice again. It's a really smart thing, a good thing for us believers to constantly do that. Make sure we're getting the gospel right. Okay, Peter, what is it when you summarize the gospel? What seems to keep coming through is clear. We better be saying those things. So, let's go through them. What we see here. First, the gospel always involves when you're speaking to the person or persons, being clear about their own sinfulness and guilt. And thus there is a judgment to come. That's the context for the good news. It's the context for the gospel. So remember, this is the second time now that Peter had the opportunity to preach the gospel to the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. And the first time, Peter in no way endeavored to try not to offend them. I, I love it. I, 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 I made the, the youth, the young people this Friday, watch an hour and nine minutes of a conversation between John MacArthur and an Orthodox Jew. And I remember when John was asked, well, when it comes to even the culture today and politics today, do you ever like worry about offending? He was like, what kind of question is this? I'd never even ever worry about offending. Not only that, I think part of the core of my ministry is to be offensive. And he didn't mean to be, because he's not an offensive person. He's a very kind person. He means when you point out people's sin and that there is a reality of judgment, many people are highly offended at that. So much so here, when Peter was done, it got them all. Right now, when Peter first preached to them, look at it, chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, he said this. Weeks back or a month or two back, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, there's their sin, whom God raised from the dead. The implication of what he just said here is just mind-boggling. God, whom you claim to believe in, he raised the one you put to death. And by this man, Jesus, this man here is standing well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, Sanhedrin. The builders, the leaders. And that very stone that you rejected and killed became the very cornerstone of God's building. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven other than Jesus who is the Messiah by which we must be saved. And so when Peter gets his second chance now here to proclaim the gospel, again he does not mince words. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, 
whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. In other words, he's making the point clearly. Your sin, my dear fellow Jews, leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, doctors of the law, your sin is so deep, you rejected God's very Messiah and killed Him. That's first and crucial. Point out. Be clear. Sin is the problem. Because our sin makes God, our Creator, a huge problem to us forever. And so secondly, it's embedded in what we just saw. Thus, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, was killed. Central. The cross. He was killed by sinners. He was killed for sin. He was killed for our sin. He was killed as the punishment for our sin. And thirdly then, crucial to the Gospel, central, is that that one who was killed, and you can read it in the Old Testament, clearly in Isaiah 53, was also then resurrected. A real human mortal, human being killed, raised to human immortality bodily forever. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Jesus' resurrection is at the very heart of the gospel as Paul will declare later in 1 Corinthians 15 if Christ isn't actually historically really raised not raised in your heart but it actually has happened if it hasn't then Christianity is a lie Christianity is worthless and we are still in our sins. And then fourth, it's not over. Gospel's not over there. Luke has been making this clear. Peter has been making this clear. God then, after 40 days of resurrection appearances, highly exalted Him. Listen to Peter, verse 31. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior. So after His resurrection appearances for six weeks and eating with the apostles and other disciples and teaching them and teaching them and teaching them and they're touching Him and they have this solid empirical witness he says, God exalted him. And he's reigning right now. The Apostle Paul summarizes that this way in Philippians 2. And therefore God, after his 
incarnation and life, death, resurrection. And then, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, the Lord Jesus, the name that is above every name. That's the name, Yahweh, who is the God of creation. So that at the name of Jesus, that man, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Which then brings us to the fifth aspect of the gospel. First, sin, Christ died for sin, Christ was raised, and Christ is exalted. And then, let's read all of verse 31. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior. He's not, see, there's no period there. For a purpose. There's a purpose clause here. As leader and Savior in order to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He's leader. He's Savior. He saves us from our sin, Peter is saying. He saves us from condemnation at Judgment Day. That's why Peter ends it in saying very clearly, He's raised and He, Jesus, gives forgiveness of your sins. And He lets us know the way to get this forgiveness is to repent. Which at the core, from the heart, you turn. You turn away from your love and worship of, of sin and all that isn't God. And you turn to God to Christ, to that message. You turn to receive undeserved mercy. That's how you get it. But stick right there, and I want you to notice that Jesus, according to Peter preaching to the Sanhedrin here, Jesus is exalted to God's right hand in order to give repentance. He did not say, He's there so that if you repent, He'll receive that. Not what it says. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance and to give the forgiveness of sins. See, his point is that all of us as sinners, the Sanhedrin and the way everyone in this room was born, we are far too gone in sin. We are actually totally dead. Born as children of God's wrath. 
dead spiritually, dead to the, to the want to in responding to the call for faith in Jesus, for repentance from our sin. We can't because we don't have within us the want to. But Peter's point is this. We can repent. And we will repent if Jesus changes our hearts and gives us repentance. That's what he says. Now, just for a moment, in the context, Peter is in Jerusalem. He is a Jew speaking to Jews. He's speaking to the Jewish Supreme Court. And that's why he says Jesus is raised and exalted, very much alive right now as leader, as ruler, and as Savior in order to give repentance and forgiveness to the Jews, many Jews, Israel. That's his context. Now, even at this point, Peter doesn't even understand yet that non-Jews can get saved. But Luke does when he's writing this many years later. Okay? Luke himself understands now, and Peter later will, that the Jews, as salvation comes to them, they are the springboard for salvation, then going to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. So as you go down later in the book of Acts, right? it took God to smack Peter up the head three times. Obey me! <laughs> go to a Gentile home. Okay, it's not something that he would ever do. He does, he preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls and God saves Gentiles. Peter gets back to Jerusalem. These Christian Jews are like, they're mad. Many of them are very upset. How in the world could you do this, Peter? Go into a Gentile home. And he explains what happened. And they had this big council meeting to figure this out. And it ends this way in verse 18 of Acts 11. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God, notice the words, God has granted given repentance that leads to life. This is the gospel. This is so crucial for us to grasp as Christians. These foundational things. Yes, you can unfold each one, okay? And, and they would do that. They'd not preach, only they preached and they taught. Preached and taught. But the, this is the skeletal structure of the gospel that we're getting here in the early church. We are to preach Christ. Jesus' death was the substitution where our guilt was placed and He was punished. And then God raised him from the dead. And then God exalted him. And this Christ, this very Jesus, is very much alive, is what Peter is saying and what we say today. And he is ruling and he is reigning. 
absolutely in order to give repentance and forgiveness. See, let me just use one penetrating example of what Peter just preached to the Sanhedrin was one of the men that almost almost definitely was standing there. So I'm just going to go with that right now. There's a man standing there in that big room who did his Ph.D. under Gamaliel. And as Peter is speaking, this man is becoming angrier and angrier and filled with hatred. And so much so, he will leave a greater persecution of all the Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then he wants to spread it out. He's going to be responsible for the death of a number of them and for the imprisonment of many of them. And he will be doing it by having authority given to him from the Sanhedrin. Peter offended him. But one day, Jesus is going to call him. Jesus, one day, is going from His throne at the right hand of God. He's going to give to this guy repentance and faith. And thus Saul of Tarsus will be saved and forgiven. And he will refer to himself for the rest of his life as the the chief of sinners. The persecutor of the church trying to stamp out Christians. Why did God do it? One reason he did that, and this is clear in the New Testament. Paul said, so that through me, There'll be no excuse for any human being on earth to say, I'm too far gone to be saved by Jesus. That's why if he can save Saul, no one is outside the bounds. No matter what they have done. And finally, we see in our passage that to be a carrier of this message of salvation in Jesus Christ, it means not only the joy of receiving others into Christ's church as we watch Jesus grant to them genuine repentance, but it also means being rejected, being ridiculed, being persecuted as these apostles were when they were humiliated and beaten with whips. First, having said that, what we see in our passage is this. There are outsiders to Christianity who are capable of responding, not with irrational anger like the majority of the Sanhedrin, but with reasoned tolerance like the great first century rabbi, teacher, Gamaliel. When they heard this, what? Peter's message of the gospel. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee, 
in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the apostles outside for a little while. And then he said to the rest of the council, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. Thutis was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So, listen up, guys. In this present case, this dead Jesus and his followers here, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking that they're talking about is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. The council wanted to kill these twelve eight, nine, how many in front of them at that moment? They wanted to just kill him just like they killed Jesus. But Gamaliel stood up and he gave wise advice. Guys, your emotions right now, you're exploding anger and jealousy. Be very careful that it doesn't lead you to be fighting against God. The sovereign God used this non-Christian to save the lives of the apostles on that occasion. But let's read on now. And when they had called the apostles back in, they beat them bloody. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Maybe, maybe if we beat them now to within an inch of their lives, they'll see how serious we are. And then they let them go. And then they, after having been beaten bloody, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name for Jesus. This should cause every one of us who's a Christian to ponder what it means to be a Christian. Often, we struggle just being out in the world and the culture that is the parts of it that are against what it is to be a Christian. We find so intimidating in sin, in cave, to be accepted. When these guys were dishonored and belittled by the elite of their day, 
when they were treated unjustly and beaten and humiliated, they took that as a tribute, as a privilege. Their bleeding backs, the pain that they're continually experiencing from it as they left. Because they stuck with Jesus, preached Jesus, proclaimed Christ, which to many people is so stupid and silly when they have no ears to hear, they did it anyway. And it was the very blood on their backs that caused them to have great joy. Why? It is simple. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead and they know it. That's why. This life, they know, is but a vapor. You're gone. Why? Because the gospel promises eternal life. It promises resurrection, bodily, immortal life. Then, when all of Jesus' enemies will be wiped out, there will be no more sin and temptation, and it will be an experience of God's glory from then on out forever and ever. That's why. And so, they're commanded by the court. Now they're bleeding. You want more of that? Okay, you don't, right? Stop preaching! And their response. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and every day in the temple. And from house to house, they did not stop teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Why, as we began, they're Christians. They must obey God. And that obedience is to their ultimate joy. What they had just experienced, Jesus had prepared them. In Luke's first volume, chapter 21 of Luke, Jesus said to these apostles, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance. You will gain your life. Did the Apostle James's hair, when he's put to death within the first couple years, was Jesus wrong 
Did his hair perish when he perished? No. James endured as long as Jesus providentially had him endure. And he gained his life. This is what drove them. And that is why the Apostle Peter, decades later, will write a letter that is to be copied and copied and copied and sent to all the churches throughout the world. And he says this in 1 Peter 4. Christian, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so, dear believer, in the midst of the anti-Christian cultural revolution that we are going through in our country right now, hold tight. Hold tight to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold tight to the scriptures concerning morality, concerning truth, that there is such a thing as truth. Hold tight to the reality of the resurrection of heaven and of eternal damnation. And hold tight to the truth that there is salvation. But there is salvation in no other name other than Jesus. There is salvation in Him alone. And there is no salvation without people hearing the Gospel preached. Let's pray. Father, You're good. Your ways are wonderful. Help us. Empower us. Cause us, no matter what this week has been like or what lay ahead this coming week, to trust. To trust You. To trust this Gospel. As sinners, to love the truth that You have nailed all of our sins to the cross. That You have carried them as far as the east is from the west. That You see us as perfectly righteous. A righteousness that is not of ourselves, but it's Your Son's. It has been given to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for such, such a call, such a gift called repentance to turn to you. And we have turned, and thus you will cause us to persevere to the end. Amen.